you know, I love using the word family. I think those of us who follow Jesus Christ can use the word family in such a great way. And so whether you, you haven't met Pastor Jonathan, uh, but you know Jesus Christ, then you're family. Whether he's uh, your closest friend or whether you've never met me or I'm your closest friend, if you follow Jesus Christ, we're family. And so there's a great, great bond of love that God has produced in the family of God. And, and the reason that Marlboro Baptist Church, we love to plant churches, is because of what Jesus Christ is doing in the local church. And so I want to share with you on that topic this morning, even before we open the Word of God together, I want to just share with you um, that, that whole concept of love. What, what does that look like? Uh, I'm going to try something. Uh, I'm not with my people, so uh, it gives me a little bit of freedom here today. So I'm going to try something. You're going to help me out with it, all right? I'm going to give you an experiment. I'm going to start singing an old song. It's an oldie bit of goodie, and you're going to help me finish it, all right? I'm, I'm confident Although I think I'm older than about half the congregation here, and that's okay, but it's an oldie, but you're going to know this song, all right? Help me finish this, all right? What the world needs now is... See, about half of you knew it. That's great. We're going to stop right there. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's a song that so many of our people in our country seem to identify with but don't understand. And that's because we all feel love a little bit differently. Although we don't maybe understand it, we're kind of selective about who we receive love from and how we're going to give love to in any, any person at any given point. We're, we're kind of inconsistent with love, you might say. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Well, I love the, I'm going to use this, Dallas Cowboys. It's just in my context, it's where we live. Anybody else love the Dallas Cowboys? Hey, wow, that's great. Feel the love. That's great. Now, we have some bandwagon people. You know what that means? That means you only love them when they're doing good, right? That's called conditional love. Man, that'll preach right there, all right? So what we're going to talk about is not conditional love. We're going to talk about unconditional love. There's nothing greater than unconditional love. In fact, that's the title I want to share with you today in this message, Nothing Greater than God's love. And it's from Romans chapter 8. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, Connection Church is going to help you out. Our ushers are going give to you, give you this little Bible right here. It's on page 614. Uh, if you're looking for how to find Romans chapter 8, 614 only in this Bible. If you're using my Bible right here, it's on page 1018. So uh, not sure which Bible you're using, but find the book of Romans chapter 8. Now, by the way, if, if you own like four of these, bring them back, all right? So I'm just going to go put that plug in, because there are people that don't own a copy of the Word of God, and so if you've got a couple extra of these laying at home, you happen to bring them home, bring them back, uh, we'll put them on the table and hand them out to other people, but boy, we'd love for you to have one, especially today, to follow along with me uh, what God's Word has to say to us in Romans chapter 8. Uh, before I read that text, uh, I, I remember Dr. Adrian Rogers, he's an incredible preacher and wonderful man of God. Went to be with the Lord a number of years ago, pastored a, a great church in, in Memphis, Tennessee. But um, he used to give an illustration, and I'm going to try to follow suit with that. I, I think it's so accurate. He used to say that if he were deserted on some remote island, and he was allowed for the rest of his life, and he was allowed to take one item with him, it would be the Bible. And if he was only allowed to take one book from the Bible, it would be the book of Romans. And if he was only allowed to take one chapter from the Bible, it would be chapter 8. 
in the book of Romans. So we're going to hit like the exclamation point of Romans chapter 8, maybe one of my favorite portions of Scripture because it talks about the great, great love of God. But I'm going to read from this text right here. This is the ESV version. No matter what version you're reading from, I'm sure you'll be able to follow along somewhat with me. But Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, watch this. What then shall we say to these things? Now I'm going to answer that question here in just a minute from a preface. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord father your word is amazing. God, your word is applicable. Your word is authoritative. God, I pray today that your word is heated. There are some great, great truths that you want for us to glean, even today from your words. I pray that your spirit has freedom to speak from what you've already written into our hearts. God, we're listening. Uh, I'm listening. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, even in these few moments together, be pleasing to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The reason I describe this as nothing greater is because if, if we grasp the love of God above anything else in all of our theology and all of our doctrine and all of our dogma, if we can grasp the love of God, there is no stopping the potential influence that you have as an individual or that we have as a church locally or universally around the world, there's no stopping what God can do if we grasp the love of God. Now, Romans chapter 8 is a, a phenomenal chapter. If you ever considered memorizing a chapter in the book of the Bible, uh, it, ought, it ought to be Romans chapter 8. By the time you get to Romans 8, verse 39, here's what's happened. So the Apostle Paul has given us this great discourse of theology in this entire book. And, and it, it, some people say, well, it's pretty, pretty complicated. It's not really that complicated. Just get in there and study it. And I promise you the Spirit of God will speak to you if you'll read it. But if you go home tonight and you read Romans chapter 8, you're going to read uh, principles that deal with being freed through Jesus Christ, being empowered through Jesus Christ, being adopted by Jesus Christ into the family of God. Uh, about the middle of chapter 8, you'll, you'll read concepts using the word redeemed. What does that mean to be redeemed or purchased back? Uh, about the end of verse 20, 27, 28, 29, you'll read a concept that talks about being secure in Jesus Christ. So by the time you get to verse 31, what I read a moment ago, we're introduced to, or excuse me, it's culminating in this concept of being loved. That may be the easiest word to understand, but the hardest word to live out. We often use the word love, but so few of us really tend to grasp it because our human language, it just doesn't seem to, 
to do it justice. And so today, what I want us to do is I want us to understand these, these four facets of God's love straight out of this text in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. And so because God loves you, there is no person who can discredit you. Let me say that again. Because God loves you, there is no person in the world who can discredit what God is doing, what God wants to do, and what God will do in your life. Now, if you're a Bible student, you know in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the Bible tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. We'll put sistren in that too, all right? So, men and women, the, the, the devil's job description is to accuse you. If you feel bad, if you feel like, oh, man, I'm just worthless, I'm terrible, the devil uses generalities, and he never uses specifics. He never says to you, you're terrible because you messed up this one thing on this one date. He'll use generalities. So you feel awful, but you don't really know why, all right? When the Spirit of God convicts you, it's specific. There's an area here in your life God wants to deal with, and praise the Lord for specificity. The devil's job is to accuse you just to make you feel bad all the time. There are only two people that have the right to accuse you. It is the Father and it is the Son. Because the Father and the Son have seen you all your entire life. They've seen everything you've ever done. The Spirit of God does as well. But there are two people here that could accuse us here today. Verse 31 tells us God, the Father, is for us. So instead of accusing you, the Bible says he's for us. And he's going to spend the next three verses telling you why God is not accusing you, but God is advocating for you. The Father is on your side. And he tells us that when, when God sent his only son to take the punishment for the sin that you deserve, Joe mentioned this a moment ago in one of the songs we were singing, that selfless act of love changed our relationship with God potentially. If we'll receive that love. See, the Bible tells us that before we receive that love, we are enemies with God. Now, listen, I, I, uh, I, I, I have, I'm, I'm sure, enemies in my life. I'd rather not like to think about that. But when I was growing up in school, I was not, this may become as a shock to you, but I was not the tallest person. Still not the tallest person. Even my own son is now taller than me. So I, I've never really been on that scale, all right? So I had some friends in my life, and I played basketball. I love basketball. I was the point guard. I mean, somebody's got to dribble the ball up and down, you know? And so uh, those tall guys need me as much as I need them. So uh, I, I understood my place, if you will, in life. And so, man, I, I remember one time I was cornered in the bathroom by this big guy. He was a bully, and uh, I was in junior high, and the only fight I ever got in in school, and it was a one-punch fight. He punched me, and it was over. That was it. It was over. By the time I came to, there was the guy that played center for our team, and he's like six, seven, big, big guy. It was great. He was my friend, and by the time I came to, my enemy was out cold. I don't know what happened, but I'm just pretty sure that my ally took care of my enemy. Now, let's understand what's happening here, all right? God is on the ally side, and he is saying, I'm for you, and I'm bigger than anything you can possibly imagine. So I'm going to base my love for you, not on you, but on my majesty, my magnitude, my hugeness, my awesomeness. I'm going to base my love for you, God is saying to you, I'm going to base my love for you not on you, but on me. And there's nothing bigger than me. 
And so because of that, no person can discredit you. You say, now wait a minute, Glenn, wait a minute. I've done some things in my life. Yeah, you have. That's exactly right. I, I, uh, I really have pity this week for uh, uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Have you been following news at all? I mean, there are two things that happened this week that I am in, intrigued with in two different perspectives. You got, you got on one hand, you got uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who, is, who uh, President Trump nominated to, to uh, take the opening on the Supreme Court, right? And so the whole process of that is now everybody who wants to, who happens to be in, Senate, in the Senate, can grill Judge Kavanaugh for who knows how long, right? And it'll just be on the front page of, of newspapers and on the TV and news stations all the time. And they're going to bring up everything they want to bring up, right? Of accusing him of anything they want to accuse him of. Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. It doesn't really matter. But, but senators on both sides of the aisle are going to be just accusing this judge, right? On the other hand, you got, uh, who was it, Mr. Strzok the other day, who, you, boy, you talk about accusations. Man, he's on the hot seat. And, and here he is, the, the second highest ranking guy in the, uh, the FBI, the CIA, I don't know, one of the great organizations here, FBI, there you go. And so, man, he's being accused of stuff, and I, I just felt pity for either one of those two men. I, 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 listen, I've had people accuse me of some things in my life too, but wow, when all of the, the nation is watching your life be displayed from these accusations, God says to you, listen, nobody can accuse you. Paul says, who can accuse us? Who can accuse the elect? He said, if you grasp the love of God thing, listen, that's why you can trust him. When people say hurtful things against you, you can trust God. Don't trust the person. You can trust God when people say hurtful things about you. You know, there actually may be a little bit of truth in that, that statement. Not a lot of truth, a little bit of truth in the statement. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Remember that statement? I know words do hurt. I get it. I understand that. But here's the truth. They don't really have power over you. No other person's words have power over you unless you let it. Why? Because God's word over you has more power than anybody else's words over you. And so in verse 33, what he does is he says, dealing with these accusations, listen, there is no power in anyone's accusations other than God, and God is not accusing you. You say, what is he doing? Well, look at verse 34. Instead of accusing you, the Bible tells us that the Son, in verse 34, is the advocate for us. Look back in verse 34. It says, uh, who is the one who condemns? Well, Christ Jesus. He's the one who died, but even more, he's been raised. He's now sitting at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. That's the whole gospel message, isn't it? Jesus Christ died for us. He rose from the grave for us. He's seated at the right hand of God, which is the place of power, um, and he is interceding on our behalf. That's a big word. What that means is he's praying. He's praying for you. Now, if you ask uh, uh, one of the, uh, your uh, uh, gospel uh, community group leaders to pray for you, and they, said, they send you a text two or three days later and say, hey, I'm praying for you, that, that means something to you. Man, that, that means a lot to you. But can you imagine... If you've got this in your mind, Jesus Christ, who is seated on the right hand of the throne of God, and he is talking to the Father for you. I mean, listen, that community group leader, uh, that gospel community group leader, their prayer is awesome. You know, that's great. But Jesus praying for you? You getting this? This is huge. 
There's no one that can discredit you because Jesus Christ is on your side. He is your advocate. He is talking to God the Father on your behalf. He is praying for you. In the Old Testament, the picture of the tabernacle, if you've studied this, you know this. There were no chairs uh, in their tabernacle uh, because the work of the priest was never done. There was always a task to be done. The Bible says when Jesus died and then he rose again, he ascended into heaven. Uh, His blood was placed on, on heaven's mercy seat. But after that, Hebrews tells us, once and for all, he sat down. Now, Jesus didn't sit down on the throne of God because he's tired, because he's pooped, because he's worn out, because he's like, whoo, I'm tired of those people on earth. Good grief, God, give me a break. No, he sat down because he's finished. His job was done. He's not in a tomb. He's on the throne. He's next to God. He's pulling for you. He's praying for you. No word of accusation from anybody on the planet is going to hold any water against you only what jesus would say and he's not condemning you he's here to cleanse you that's an incredible message that's a huge beginning point of god's love but then look with me in verse 35 i read it a moment ago but let's read it again he says who can separate us from the love of christ and he begins to name several things affliction distress persecution famine nakedness danger or sword god loves you And because God loves you, there's also no problem that can defeat you. Because God loves you, there's no problem. Affliction, distress, persecution, famine, danger, sword. He names several things here, and he says none of them can defeat you. In fact, he says in this text that we are more than conquerors. Now, he doesn't say that because we... uh, we're all that in a bag of chips, or we're pretty strong, or we're just super Christians. He doesn't say that. He says, in fact, the focus is because God loves us, we're more than conquerors. So if you've received God's love, you are more than conquerors. I kind of feel sorry for, for a Christian who doesn't have at least something big in their life that they didn't wish they had. Let, let me explain it. The Apostle Paul lists for us a number of, of, of crises, and, he, and he, we're going to talk about those things, affliction, distress, persecution, famine. All right, you've got a crisis in your life. I've got a crisis in my Every one of us have crisis in our life at some point, right? I feel sorry for Christians who, who can't identify with those problems. Sometimes Christians, we spend so much time saying, God, get rid of this crisis in my life, this affliction, this distress, this tribulation, this peril. Get rid of it in my life, but, but let, me build, let me build my case. God never promises to keep us from trouble. He never promises to give us immunity, if you will, from trouble. In fact, what he promises us is to stay with us in that trouble. So listen, if we walk around pretending that we don't want any trouble in our life, we don't want any persecution in our life, we don't want any bad things happening to us in our life, if that's the kind of Christian life that you want, then you're going to miss Jesus with you in trouble. You've got to have trouble to identify how great God's love is in your life. Because no matter what valley you're going through, you're going to realize, wait a minute, I got Jesus with me. I got Jesus with me. There's no problem that can win. There's no problem that can defeat me because I've got Jesus with me. Now, I know we all face desperate circumstances. The Apostle Paul lists several. He says affliction or distress. I like that word because in in Greek it really means hemmed in. You ever been in a situation where you felt hemmed in uh, like there's no way out? Now, maybe there's a way out, but you couldn't see the way out. 
Some of you feel that way in school or maybe financially or from health problems or relational problems, whatever. You feel like there's no out. Hey, insert story of, of 12 boys and their coach in Thailand last week. You with me? Hemmed in, all right? Distressed, afflicted. There's no way out. You know, God says that he loves you in that affliction. The Apostle Paul says, or even persecution. You realize today, persecution of Christians is at an, at an all-time high. Now, in America, we don't really see that too much. We, we're kind of oblivious to that, the reality of it. Um, right now, uh, Croatia and France are playing, right? I, I'm convinced that one of you in this room, maybe two, are watching alerts on your phone because you're pulling for France or Croatia. But we're not going to accuse you here today, right? All right, so we've already dealt with that. But we know the World Cup has culminated in this game this morning, right? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, and you don't follow soccer. And, you know, sorry about that, all right? But the World Cup, this great soccer event where, where these uh, uh, 32 teams began a month ago vying for this championship game that's being played this morning. So I've been, I've been kind of watching these 32 teams. Did you know that seven of those 32 countries that made it to the World Cup, seven of those 32 countries are on the top 50 watch list for persecution against Christians? So think about this. So Iran is number 10 on that list. Saudi Arabia, Nigeria, Egypt, Tunisia, Mexico, and Colombia. All seven of those are on the top 50 watch list. In other words, what that means is, while these countries represent millions and millions of people, it represents millions and millions of people who are not free to live out their faith for threat of persecution. Now, I, I understand every context is different, and, 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 and it's fun to watch these teams compete, and they're great athletes and all of that. But in the middle of that, we should remember, when you see something like that being played out on a global scene, you should just pause and remember your brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, your brothers and sisters in Christ, who, are, who, who potentially will die for making a commitment to follow the same Jesus Christ that you follow. But don't be depressed by that. In fact, cheer them on, because while the World Cup teams represent maybe some great persecution going on in the world, and they're looking for this golden trophy, I want you to know they also give us hope, because every one of those countries I just named to, if you did any amount of study, you'd realize there's revival taking place in those countries. Huge revival. In Iran, you know, they're experiencing one of the greatest revivals of their entire history as a country. In Tunisia, while Christian churches are not allowed, they've not been allowed to legally be in existence, at least since 1952, there's an estimated 24,000 Tunisians that have become Christians this year alone in that country. That's revival. In Egypt, there are more churches popping up, despite the scene that we see, how many times have we seen on the news of Coptic Christians being beheaded or killed or whatever for their faith, and yet they can't stop it. Because God is doing a great work there. God is still writing his story. What Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to convince us. There is no danger. There is no peril. There is no persecution. There is no nakedness. There is no sword. There is no difficulty in your life that has power to defeat you because Jesus Christ loves you. So nothing can stop what God's going to do. Talk about famine or, or nakedness. You know, I was reading recently that one-third of the world lives on less than $2 a day. I, that's mind-boggling. Do you, do you realize what that looks like? Do you know one in ten people in Sioux Falls are living below the poverty level? Right here. And your own worshipers. If, if this 
congregation today represents all of Sioux Falls. That means one in every 10 people you meet are living below the poverty level. And here we are. We, were, we would say that we are blessed people. No matter where you live on that poverty level scale, there is no power that can defeat you. There's no problem that can defeat you in this life, including poverty. Religious leaders of Paul's day, you guys remember what Paul went through. I mean, he went from killing Christians to trying to persuade people and saying, I would rather die so that you could become a Christian. I mean, it's an amazing journey the Apostle Paul went through in his life. And I love his his. Uh, his heart for for the lord and for the people of god when he really got it going and he was planting churches and he was uh, uh sharing the gospel and people are coming to know jesus christ the leaders of his day they came to him and they and they arrested him and they say listen uh we're gonna kill you and he said that's great to die is gain know what he said know what the apostle paul says and they said oh then that's fine if you want to die we're not gonna kill you we're gonna let you live and he goes that's great to live as christ and they're like, come on, man, you're just driving us nuts. And, and they're like, we're going to arrest you, we're going to kill you, you want both of those things. And, and they say, listen, for, forget that. Instead of that, we're going to make it hard for you, we're going we're gonna to persecute you, we're going to beat you. And he goes, bring it on. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, if you still have your Bibles open, what does he say in verse 18? He says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed. He goes, so bring it. You want to kill me? Kill me. To die is gain. You want me to let me live? To live is Christ. You want to give me a hard time? You want to rip my arms off of my body? That's great. The sufferings of this world can't be compared to heaven. That is a perspective of the love of God that there is no problem that can defeat you. Take that to your greatest addiction. Take that to your greatest problem. Your greatest financial challenge. That terrible relationship in your life you can't seem to get rid of or get out of. Listen, there is something extraordinary that is happening to you when you're holding on to the love of God because when all the odds are against you, they're not against you. They're against the character of God. And he stands in your place to let all those assaults and all those attacks so there's no problem that can defeat you because God is standing in between for you. But the Bible goes on to say in verse 36 and 37, God loves you, and because God loves you, there is no past that can discourage you. Look, look how he puts it to us in verse 36. He says, as it's written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long, counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, wait a minute. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's look at it this way. There's nobody here in this room that is not, who is not carrying something from their past that haunts their present. You may feel, if this is your first time here today, or first time in a church day, you may feel like, man, everybody's looking at me. I, I've been a pastor for a pretty long time. Um, my, my parents are in the ministry. I've been on the staff of a church all of my life, or the child of, of, of a minister. And so I, I have a, a pretty good perspective of what happens in the local church. In local churches, just like this, no matter how big or how small the church is, here's what happens. When somebody walks in the door for the very first time, they feel like everybody's staring at them. Because they don't have any problems, just this person that walked in. That's what the devil wants you to feel, okay? He wants you to feel awkward. He wants you to feel out of place. He wants you to feel like, well, uh, everybody's looking at me. But here's the reality. Everyone here 
has something in their past that we wish we could get rid of, and it haunts us. Now, we, if we were a Christian, we've already asked God to forgive that. We've asked God to heal that. We've asked God to amend that, but we still know about it. And we still realize if we were Judge Kavanaugh sitting on the stand, we'd be a little worried about something coming up from the past, all right? We, we'd have some skeleton, what have you. But what Paul is able to tell us here in this text is that there is no past problem. There is no past skeleton in the closet. There's nothing in your past that should discourage you today. Because while Satan's job is to discourage you, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Now, I love this concept, more than a conqueror. It's this exhilaration that comes, and that's the kind of the word. By the way, Paul creates a word here. In, in, in Greek, we, we get the concept of Nike, you know, the swish. We, we get this concept of, of conqueror, if you will, in, in Greek. But he puts this little prefix on it that says that we are super conquerors. Now, there's all these movies about superheroes today, and, I mean, you, you just every, every day you can go to the local theater and see some movie about some superhero, Right. He creates this superhero. It's called a super conqueror, if you will, more than conquerors. What he's talking about is when we realize what God does with our problems, we become these superheroes, if you will. We become these more than conquerors. It produces with us a super joy. When I think about some of the skeletons in my closet, when I think about some of the stuff in my past, instead of of being anxious and worrisome, and as a human, I could go, oh, no. But as a Christian, I can look at that problem in the past and I can go, whoa, I am more than a conqueror of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want us all to talk about it. We'd, I'd like to leave it there. You know, Christ conquered it. Conquered, as in it's done. All right. He left it there. But it gives me this exhilarating joy because I know what God did for that. Conquered it. So now let's apply that to our own sickness, to our sorrow, to our struggle, to any difficulty we're having. And I can promise you, those are not things you have to fight anymore because he's already dealt with them. I have a a friend of ours, a friend of our family, who used to be a bull rider. Um, You guys, anybody rodeo fans here? You know, you go to the rodeo, know what that is, ever seen it on TV, have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm from Texas, all right? It's just a context thing. We, we get that, all right? Uh, um, so I have a friend of ours. Uh, he's a great friend of ours, and he is a, a bull rider. Now, this guy, he, 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 uh, he's had a tough life. I mean, I don't know how many times he's fallen off that bull or got kicked off that bull or whatever, but I, I've talked to him. His name's Eric, and I've talked to him, and I asked him to describe this to me, and he, and he told me one time, not, not in this word, but he described it like this. He's like, there's this exhilarating joy, this fulfillment from being taken to the level that is beyond comprehension. And I, and I said, well, I, I'm okay sitting on the ground listening to you tell me about that joy. What he's saying is, listen, I'm, I was built to be a bull rider. So when I'm riding that bull, there is this feeling like there is nothing greater in all the world because I'm, I'm living out this conquering mentality. I'm conquering this bull for eight seconds, but I, I, I feel like I'm living out my dream. What Paul does is Paul tries to tap into that type of mentality, and he says there is this, there is this super joy fulfillment that takes place for every Christian when they realize that the love of God has conquered the worst sin in your past. So the most terrible skeleton that you're thinking today, I hope the person next to me doesn't know anything about it, God says to you, Don't forget it. Claim it that I've already covered that. And you will experience this incredible joy that comes with living life on the edge because you are 
super conqueror. You are more than conquerors in the midst of those things, not in spite of those things. If you didn't have any junk for God to conquer, how great would God's love be? But because you've got all this stuff in your life, the Bible calls it sin, but let's talk about damage of sin. Because some of us inherited some things in our life. It's not our sin. It's not our fault. But because of sin, because of the fall of man, we've gone through some stuff in our life. So the Bible says those weights and those sins, all of it, Jesus conquered. You don't experience the joy of the Lord because you're squeaky clean. You experience the joy of the Lord because what he conquered is so great. Now, also in this text, in the book of Romans, Paul would tell you, so should we sin more? so that God's conquering could be made even bigger? He says, no way. He says in Greek, meganoite. He says, don't even think about it. That's ludicrous. You don't experience the love of God in spite of the closed doors in your life, but through those closed doors, you realize God loves you. So since Christ proved his love for you by his sufferings, our sufferings cannot possibly separate us from God's love. That's his whole point. It's the suffering of jesus christ that proves god loves you so your sufferings don't stand in the way of god loving you it's how god loves you through those things i've seen a lot of christians when they come to know christ as an adult they they struggle with their past particularly if they have a whole lot of past that they'd rather not talk about and and i'm thinking of a friend of mine my family knows who i'm talking about his name is chad And when Chad gave his life to Jesus Christ less than two years ago, it was a radical transformation. I mean, it's like the Apostle Paul. I might as well change his name from Saul to Paul. I mean, it was an incredible change. He's a car salesman. He's a used car salesman. And everything that goes with that um, label was true of his life in a negative way. He's still a used car salesman. But now, every person that walks on that car lot hears about Jesus, experiences Jesus, gets a hug from Chad, gets a prayer from Chad over them. Whether they like or not, some of them run away fast because they don't want that, you know? And I've seen it. This man is radically changed by Jesus Christ. And when asked about his past, I've talked to people in our community. Now, our community is about half the size of Sioux Falls, all right? So I've talked to people in our town, and I'll say, oh, hey, do you know All-American Motors? Do you know Chad, my friend Chad, who runs All-American? Oh, yeah, I know Chad. Well, like, how well do you know Chad? Well, I haven't seen him for years. Oh, well, then you need to go see him. Or if I say, hey, you know my friend Chad? Yeah, man, I just saw him the other day. So what do you think? Dude, he's not the same person. It's amazing. People that have seen him today and know his past are like wide-eyed, kind of getting in their mind, what happened to this guy? That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. Don't hide the past. Don't sit there and worry about the past. Don't sit there and be insecure about the past. Just recognize that God conquered your past. It's part of your story. It's part of who you are. Now, you don't have to air your dirty laundry, but you can just say, look what God has done. Man, look what God has done. That's the whole point Paul's trying to make in verse 36 and verse 37. And then verse 38, it's like this exclamation point goes on the whole text. And here's the point I want to make with you before I close. God loves you, and so there's no power that can destroy you. Do you remember in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, um, maybe the most famous, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, it says, uh, uh, in fact, you've got it right open right there, we know that all things work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. What a, what a uh, peaceful verse. 
to know that God can take all the bad stuff of our life and make it for his glory and our good. But what, what Paul does right here in verse 38, it's like he, he's putting an exclamation point on it, and he's saying, listen, I have thought it over, and I've completely convinced, I am permanently satisfied, because I know that God loves me. What he says to us in verse 38 is, I am then persuaded. That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God. You know, if you, if you looked at the heart of every person here today, if you could do this, you would see insecurity on the faces of our hearts. Because every one of us struggle with insecurity at some level. We all have it. Now, some of us mask it with humor or charisma uh, or, or fear or other phobias. We, we all have these mechanisms that try to mask our insecurities, but everybody has insecurities, all right? Christians are not immune to insecurities or to temptation or to tribulation. We're just promised victory over those things. And so when we look at those things that tend to terrify us, he starts with death. That's like the number one greatest fear of man. Did you know that? Uh, Billy Graham used to describe it. He said the number one greatest fear of any person is death. I know a whole lot of Christians. They're scared to death of death. And I don't get that as a Christian. I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? But, but Paul starts out with death. He says, listen, even if you're scared of death, it doesn't have any power over your life. Death can't destroy you. If you're a Christian, if you understand the love of God. I'm reading a book right now on the, the pastor to the presidents. It's about Billy Graham's influence on presidents. And I've always been intrigued by, by the presidents in our, in our country. I'm just intrigued by the whole system. Um, maybe one of the favorite presidents of many people is Abraham Lincoln. Did you know Abraham Lincoln's corpse has been exhumed and inspected and reburied at least 17 times since he died? That's, a, that's going beyond curious. Don't you think 17 times? Really? Just let the body go. I'm just saying. I'm not a scientist. That's just my point, all right? But listen, Jesus' body cannot be exhumed. It's not there. I've stood in the tomb in Jerusalem. There is no body in that tomb. There is no scientist that one day, or some archaeologist that one day is going to say, whoa, we have found the body of Jesus. It's not going to happen. He did die. He was buried, but he did rise again. And he is living today, seated at the right hand of God. There's no one ever that's going to say one day, hey, wait a minute, we found Jesus. And the whole point of me saying that to you is this. Death cannot separate you from God. Death is a doorway. Death is what takes you into the presence of God if you're a Christian. So Paul starts out with the number one fear that every human has ever experienced in their entire life, death. And he says, death cannot separate you from the love of God. And then he gives you another great list, which we're not going to take the time to walk back through, but it's like he says, things that are coming or things that have in the past, nothing can separate you from God's love. The New Living Translation, actually, this verse says, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. What a great perspective of that. Neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow. In verse 39, maybe my favorite little phrase right here, he says, nor height nor depth. You know, I particularly love that because the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 18 and 19, the same thing, didn't he? He said that our, his prayer was that we would experience the height of God's love, the depth of God's love, the breadth of God's love, and the width of God's love. And he gives these geometrical terms, if you will. Here's the whole reason for that, is he wants to prove to us that there is no problem 
too big, too deep, too wide for God to handle. I think about those terms, I, 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 that speaks to me, especially. I think about the height and the, and the depth thing. You know what that means? Is that God's arm is, is never too short to reach things. You know, it, I made light about my height, but, but the reality is, at five foot seven something, I, I can't reach certain things, right? I mean, even coming in talking today, we were talking about using this table, and I was like, well, yeah, it's okay, but you know, for Jonathan, like, he leans down on it because he's like eight feet tall. Well, to me, he's tall, all right? So that's just the reality of it, right? And so there are things in my life that I can't reach because I, I don't, I realize who I am. I have a shorter stature, okay? But listen, what God is saying is height-wise, there's nothing God can't reach. There's no fear that, that God has about, oh, I, I don't know if I'll be big enough to handle that problem of sin in that person's life. I, I think Sally has done too many wrong things. I don't think I can handle it. I think Sam is really messed up. I don't think I can handle it. There's nothing like that that God will ever say about you. And so listen, today, God's arm is not too short to reach into the depths of your hurt, into the depths of your heart, and grab that pain, and grab that sin, and grab that suffering, and to cleanse it, and to heal it, and to forgive it. There's nothing God cannot do. Even Jonah found that there's no place God cannot go, right? In the depths of the ocean, he rescued Jonah at the bottom of the, the ocean in the belly of a whale. So there's nothing God can't handle. There's no sin that is too bad. It's not, think better about yourself. I don't want you to leave here today thinking, hey, I think I'm a pretty good person. Yippee skippy for me. I don't want you thinking better about yourself. I want you thinking bigger about God. Because our world's problem today is not a low view of self. It's a low view of salvation. We have dumbed down sin, so we don't think the problem for God to solve was that great of a problem to begin with. But it's a huge problem. Because remember where we all began? We were enemies with God. We were fighting God. We were trying to bully God. When you, when you, when you hold on to your sin and your problems, and you say, well, I'm just doing things my way, you're trying to bully God around. Now, he created you. He knows what you can do and what you can't do. And he says, Paul says, there is nothing that God cannot solve. Look at verse 39. This is how he ends. He says, nor anything else in all creation. It's kind of like Paul says, if there's anything that I have forgotten about, that I haven't thought about, that you are thinking about, that could separate you from the love of Christ, there's nothing. I, I, I love it. It's kind of like the, that, that prayer at the end of your prayer when you just say, uh, God help all the people in the world. It's kind of this general, God just help everybody kind of prayer. That's what Paul's doing right here. He's like, look, no matter what you're thinking of, if you've thought of something I haven't thought about, it doesn't really matter because God cannot stop loving you. God promises to love you. He doesn't promise that you won't suffer. He doesn't promise that you won't go through difficult times. He promises that you won't be separated from the love of God. No matter what you do, God will love you. I'm not saying he likes what you do. I'm not saying he condones what you do. I'm saying he loves you. There's a great story Charles Spurgeon um, recounts that occurred in his life one day when he went to a farmer um, in kind of a rural port, part of, uh, of England outside the big city of London. And he went to make a visit to this farmer, and, and he saw a weather vane on top of the barn, and it had been written on top of the weather vane, God is love. And Spurgeon said to the farmer, he says, uh, in no uncertain terms, I don't like that. I, I don't like that because it seems to convey that God's love changes like the wind. Because that's what a weather vane does. It's supposed to change with the wind, right? And the good old farmer said, oh, no, preacher. 
It means that no matter which way the wind blows, God loves you. Our confidence in God's love is not in how much we love him because we're fickle. We love the Cowboys, we hate the Cowboys. We love the Chiefs, we hate the Chiefs. We're, we, we're kind of, we vacillate based on the wind. This text says that God is not fickle, God is not faltering, and God is not frail. His love is forever. It's his great love for you that makes you more than a conqueror over every problem, every person, over every pain, over every issue in your life. And you may be here today, and you may know about God's love, but you've never committed to God's love. It, it's kind of like standing at the ocean with your feet in the sand, and you're looking at the water. But you haven't enjoyed the ocean. You're just looking at it. The difference between knowing God's love and experiencing God's love is 18 inches. It's the average distance between your head to your heart. And for a lot of you here today, it may be that same difference it may be that you've never stepped into the love of god to let him conquer your sin in your life your pain in your life your problems in your life you can come you can try to feel better about yourself you can come to church you can go to group you can do all these other things and you'll kind of feel a little bit better for a moment and then satan who's very patient will wait and he'll just take you out with one of his arrows and you'll feel like a heel again you'll feel like you messed up again you'll feel terrible again and you'll say oh i need to go to church again i need to go be around christians again and you'll kind of go up and down up and down up and down all of your life but you've never experienced god's love you may know about it but you're just standing there on the beach just kind of waiting for it well friend you got to jump in with both feet you got to trust him you got to say thank you for your love i'll receive that love you guys know the name Saman Kunan? He's the only one who died in last week's incredible story of 12 boys and one coach in Thailand. You know the story? This past week, a soccer team, young, like 12, 13, 14-year-old boys, were stuck in this cave, and the water was filling up, and their assistant coach, the only adult in the scene, and it was like how many days, like a, a week and a half? two weeks, something like that, of, of these boys being stuck in this cave, and, and the whole world, I mean, there, there are 13 countries involved in this rescue effort. It was an incredible thing, and, and it, it, not one of those boys died. It's a phenomenal story. You gotta go back and check it out if you don't know the story, all right? Saman Kunan is the only one who died. He was a Navy SEAL in Thailand, and in a rescue effort, he was delivering oxygen tanks to the boys to bring oxygen into that cave that the oxygen level is going out and being dissipated because of the rising waters. And so they were bringing water, I mean, uh, supplies in and out, in and out. And it would take a, a, a seal two hours to get to the boys, two hours to get back. And on the way back, after he had taken some oxygen, life-giving oxygen to these boys, on his way back, he died. Now, wait a minute. Have you ever thought about this? So this Navy SEAL who's bringing life to these 13 people gives his life. But you know the irony of that? Those 13 people, those 12 boys, not one coach, one day they're still going to die. I'm not trying to be morbid, but they're still going to die. That oxygen that that Navy SEAL risked his life, gave his life for them, it only elongated their life on this earth. At some point, they're still going to die. 
2,000 years ago, not a Navy SEAL, but the Savior brought life. And even death won't stop you from living if you'll trust in his great love for you. But he gave his life so that you could experience true eternal life, the love of God. It's amazing. There's nothing greater. Father in heaven, I thank you today for the reality of your love. Thank you so much that you use Jesus Christ's life and death and burial to prove your love for us. It's not an easy concept. God, we struggle with to understand, but Father, I pray today that you would give us a clarity and a conviction to trust in your love. Jesus, thank you for proving your great love for us. I pray today that you would allow Connection Church, especially in the days to come, to communicate your love to all of Sioux Falls. God, there are people here that have never grasped what it means to be loved. God, I pray today that you would use this church to spread your love all over this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.